welcome to the Orthopraxis Podcast. I'm James O'Farron here, as always, with Robbie Teamy. Hello. So we are in the midst of a new series uh, talking about uh, epochs in history. We started out with an introduction to the topic of how we were defining an epoch, something that changes fundamentally and irrevocably how everyone does things or thinks about things in general. Like there's like a cosmic shift that like a cog can't go backwards. Uh, we talked about a lot of different ones through biblical history. I mean, you know, look, getting exiled from Eden was pretty significant. Uh, the coming of Christ, that was pretty darn significant. It's <laughs> changed a lot of things. Uh, yes. The ones since then have not been as significant as those. I mean, you know, the fall of Numenor type of scale of you know, Atlantis, <laughs> Atlantean type destruction of, you know, the deluge uh, or the Tower of Babel or, you know, all these different things. Uh, these were really significant events. Um, exactly. In a lot of different directions. And depending on your theological history, more or less significant. Uh, if you go with, you know, like Enochian history, like these are sing extremely significant cosmic events. Um, so since then, there haven't been at, like on that scale of like universal, <laughs> you know, fundamental laws of spiritual reality shifting type changes. Uh, but there have been significant changes. Uh, one of the ones, and most of them have been related to the interaction of the church with the world. Uh, that's been kind of the theme. Uh, we started yes. off with Constantine and mm -hmm. his huge seismic shift in the fundamental workings of government uh, was shifted by his uh, surrender to Christ um, and how that transformed the operations of the world and changed how the church relates to the world um, in a lot of good ways, though there have been a lot of uh, you know challenges that came in play because of that. Um, there is no silver thread without a cloud, I suppose you could say. Um, <laughs> um, and how that changed like, as uh, the church became triumphant on earth in a lot of ways, a lot more ways, and martyrdom stopped happening as frequently. Uh, then mon the monastic rise came into play and... Um, there are a lot of really interesting things that, that that was allowed for the councils to be formed because, you know, you can't create unified doctrine very easily by gathering all the bishops of the church together in one room. If by doing so, you're just asking for the emperor to just wipe out your entire hierarchy <laughs> of the church in one fell swoop. <laughs> so <That's true. laughs> now it was safe for you to do that, you could actually create some, you know, some common ground um, and uh, defend um, uh, from heresy. So that was a big, huge thing. And then we, and then, so now we are talking about kind of the next really big one. There's been a lot of things and we're kind of lumping a bunch of things that span, you know, like 300 or so, 400 or so years worth of stuff and kind of jamming it all in one box and calling it a thing, um, which I know that bad history, I'm sorry. <laughs> this time we're talking less about a specific inciting incident and more of a yeah. generalized cultural movement. A trend, you and be and because we are Americans and we aren't very good at um times and stuff. It's <laughs> the, <laughs> I'm still going back to this is a problem we have, and it, it's something that you we can't necessarily get past. America, mm. there's the old joke about in Europe, a hundred miles is a long way, and in America, a hundred years is a long time. <laughs> yeah. Yep. The very apt. Very apt. Very apt. And <laughs> and I. 
confirmation confirmation bias is a strong thing even if you are aware of it <laughs> yeah <laughs> so one of the things that we're gonna kind of do is generalize about you know a couple hundred years of, of history yeah and we're gonna call it an epoch swing <laughs> Yeah, and I, I just want to put a big, huge caveat, big, huge, big red rubber stamp. Um, we are not experts in these time periods, and the, a lot Ooh. of this is us reading and pulling ideas out and just kind of throwing with the wall and seeing what sticks. Uh, uh-huh. So this is a, this will be a, a very rambly episode in particular. Um, and so we'd love to hear your guys' thoughts ahead of yes. time. like Very rambly, and that's saying something for us. <laughs> yeah, tell us, tell us why we're wrong, because this is something I'm absolutely fascinated in studying, and I've been studying it for a while, and I love it. And I love when people tell me I'm wrong on this. I, honestly, like more than in perhaps almost any other area other than maybe theology, um, mm-hmm. I, I love people telling me I'm wrong in these things. Because I have these ideas, these pre- preconceptions, and people's like, you know, actually this happened. I'm like, really? That's so cool. Tell me more about how I'm totally wrong. That's just, I love that. Yes, um, it's excellent. So this is one of these areas has, that has been that for me. And I've collected a lot of areas in which I had been wrong. And uh, this is one of the ones that I would love to learn more about how I'm wrong. So please tell me. I really, really appreciate mm-hmm. it. Uh, so the the trend here that we're looking at is well, being dubbed by us the rise of secularism as a thing. Uh, yes. This is in many ways, you could you could put it on the bad side. The, okay, on the good side, this is like the birth of science as the way we think of science. Uh, so the Renaissance through the Enlightenment periods, basically. Um, the, the the triple play of Renaissance, Reformation, and Enlightenment really is kind of the, the big um, section here. So there's a, there's a rise of science through this. There's also the rise of atheism. Uh, atheism, for those who didn't know, uh, did not exist uh, prior uh, to these dates, basically before the thir- before 1300, really, um, it wasn't really a thing. There have been some people who tried to like back read into some of the ancient Greek philosophers, some atheistic type ideas or materialistic type ideas. Um, but read, but when read in terms of their own time and in their own practice, um, it's just un- untenable. It's just, it, just, it doesn't yes. work. Um, what they called atheists is not what we call atheists. I'll just put it that way. Um, yeah. In fact, I've heard that originally atheist was used to refer to the Jews and the Christians. Yes, yes. Actually, because... that's absolutely true. Because we were monotheistic as opposed to polytheistic. And yes, or it yeah, was we just incomprehensible we... because basically they didn't have <laughs> yeah. any gods at all. <laughs> there right, was a, right. a pantheon was... of gods at war and conflict with each other and trying to see who's the boss. We're all just like, no, there's one god. He's in charge of everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it, but what because you, normally you, you have... had normally you had <laughs> pagans would have their local personal deities that they were attached to. And then when they would war, there would be those deities at war. And then one of them won. Um, you would kind of over time when you when, so pantheons really only developed when empires developed. Because right. the empire would go conquer a bunch of other nations, and in order to maintain their allegiance, they say they would tell a story about a succession myth about how one of their deities came in and conquered these other deities, and how they're all part right. of the same family tree. <laughs> Which is why our the God came and kicked your God's butt, but they're all still related. So you can yeah, they're still all like they're also just a family bickering, and we can worship all of them together. So the pantheons came out of this idea of multiple nations under hegemony, under one ruling um, emperor, basically. And so right. you had this really interesting trope of all these 
um, succession myths and all of the stories that we see back of like the Greeks and the Roman um, classical myths are actually mm-hmm. them telling stories in order to try and unite. Basically, they're writing fan fiction, a crossover fan fiction um, to unite <laughs> all of these different myths to show how they're all actually related. Right. Um, State state sponsored fanfic <laughs> literally literally what it is um and you end up with uh these really really weird family trees because of that <laughs> that wasn't mm-hmm. like naturally organic to those original cultures that was something that was imposed on them by the empire so anyway side tangent there on that um so an atheist at the time was basically someone who didn't worship your god personally basically you're you're against a god so mm-hmm. you're an atheist if you were from a a, a a warring tribe in a sense, as opposed to like we're just worshiping them all of them together. That was a protheist, I suppose you could say. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that was what atheist was in that, in that kind of concept. And so n- then you got this idea in the in the Renaissance, and then through the Reformation, Enlightenment, uh, this um, a trend that there's a lot of different reasons why it could have started um there's a lot of different things that were at play um one of the things that i believe had a significant role in it was the spreading of the church uh, of of christianity uh because when that happened paganism died like we wiped out paganism entirely Uh, magic stopped working and so there actually are amazing records of this of um priests who used to get answers from their oracles and used to be able to do these magical things. And then they wouldn't work. And they'd ask like the demons, like, what's up, dude? Like, why aren't you helping me with this thing? And they're like, so there's that guy over there praying and he's really annoying. Could you like stop him, please? Because I can't do anything <laughs> until he does. And they go, oh, okay. They get down pitchforks and they're like, go try and attack him. And then the, the and then the saint, whoever he was like, oh, that dude, uh, is there still one of those left? And he'll like make a sign of the cross and the, the entire temple falls apart. And they're like, oh, that's, that really sucks. Um, <laughs> this is like a common theme. Like this is like across all the hagiographies from the time period. It's amazing. Um, and so like this is this, this constant war, this, this tension. And then Christianity won. Yay. Really excellent, excellent uh, cultural appropriation there. Um, <laughs> wiped everything out properly because it was all it, nice it, culture. Yeah. You've got it. It's if, you, if, you, now. if you've watched yeah. the Northman, which like so actually, actually so for those of yes. you who have strong stomachs, um, I actually do recommend watching Northman. It's a really excellently made movie um, that authentically portrays paganism as it was. It's not mm-hmm. sugar coated. It's not whitewashed. Um, it really shows like this is the brutality and the um, dysfunction. <laughs> that it was and why it's a really good thing that christianity to um removed removed it and took it out um yes. <laughs> so what happened though is that as it died out you end up getting distance so out when you're outside of recent memory people don't remember what it was like they only remember the now and when you have mm-hmm. people who are frustrated or disaffected with the way things are going they point fingers and blame shift and so on and people, as always, throughout all of history, this is no epic has changed this. <laughs> people are like, it used to be better back in those golden ages when all, all the problems were fine. And, you know, we didn't have these, you know, youngsters running around and ruining everything with their weird music. Um, this has just always been a complaint by old people. <laughs> <laughs> and so they look back, ironically, to paganism and saying the problem is the church. And 
old the old classical paganism um, was actually better. They're these enlightened people. Um, so the renaissance, the 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 rebirth or the regrowth of light, and also the enlightenment. What the, the before after the dark ages, the entire idea of the dark <laughs> ages was basically a smear campaign by the enlightenment against the medieval period because it ruined everything that all the classic Greeks had right. So the renaissance was like right. trying to bring back those good old days of the pagans. Um, <laughs> so you watch like Mozart um, doing uh, like I, I, lo- I actually I really love the um the magic flute the uh the opera it's a beautiful mm-hmm. beautiful work of art done by mozart it's absolutely amazing everybody should watch it um but it's fascinating because it's you see this um the hero of it at the end spoiler sorry um uh is um talking all about the enlightenment and um rational reason and um control of one's passions and all this kind of stuff and he's elevating Osiris and Isis as the deities of reason and rationality and how this is better uh, than all of the chaotic superstition of um, the bad um, figure, um, which is like, this is so classic <laughs> of that period. <laughs> like this idea that um, this elevation of reason, it goes hand in hand with somehow with these ancient deities um, without actually looking at what they actually were like. They were not rational at all. They were horrifically diabolical in, in a very, very right. sense. Um, so, so that was part of like the distortion that came into play. And But one of the results of that was them trying to focus, except on like removing superstition and focusing on the development of science, of like right. the material world. They became very obsessed about the material world. So they're kind of like the opposite of Gnostics in a lot of ways, which is kind of interesting. What's what's fascinating is it's a uh, is it's almost predictable by <laughs> by the nature of uh, broken human yeah. sinfulness. Is that once things were going well and the they were outside of the control of these demons. They again wanted to turn back and claim control. They didn't want mm-hmm. to acknowledge God anymore. Mm-hmm. So God gives them over to their own debased mind. He gives them, he lets them go back and become inward focused. And it, and, it, and what it, they do you, you is use that control they, and they gain control. That's so important. Exactly. They they claim to gain control. And what they do is they claim that we can control the world if we study it properly so instead they replace and then they look back in literally they look back in history and see these the romans and the greeks who didn't believe in this christian god and look what they built and they're like and clearly it couldn't have been magic because we haven't experienced that it's (laughs) still reminiscent of um the old testament and god tells Israel, that this is what's going to happen. You're going to go into the promised land and you're going to find all these great things that you didn't build. You're going to find fields that you didn't sow. You're going to find orchards that you didn't plant. You're going to find houses that you didn't build. And you're going to say, look what I have built for myself. And you're going to forget God. And what happens? As soon as all the people who were brought into the promised land and actually had to fight for it were gone, they immediately turned back to, 
oh, we can run ourselves. We don't need to listen to God. We will do whatever we think's best. <laughs> and that's what the Renaissance basically is. Yep. Is we've decided that there has to be this whole religion and this whole God knowing what's right and what's wrong and being in control of everything. That can't be the reason everything works. There has to be something else. There has to be something greater than that. And what they came up with was their own understanding, their own human reason. Um, Science. (laughs) What's fascinating. There's a lot of really fascinating pieces to this. Now there's a lot of cool things that came out of this as kind of a good example of this is like the printing press the printing press was invented um kind of during the tail end you suppose how you how you terminalize things you know what, what where the boundaries are i have a mid mm-hmm. tail end of renaissance was printing press invention in 1436 um and i mean the first book that was printed was the bible and i love books like i think everybody should have all the books possible i have a ridiculous number of books <laughs> i love books um but books, one of the fast- good. books are good books are very good um yeah. But there was a shift that happened that that is kind of almost undoable um, that came into play with the printing press. Um, books prior to that point have been read in community. Uh, and the issue, if you weren't had, didn't have access to books because you didn't have access to the right community. Um, and I'm not going to go into the whole, you know, theological debate of Catholics and Orthodox about um the scripture being in the language of the people and how they liturgically were different and why there was more of a problem in the west than in the east about books and being read in scripture access and all that kind of, that's a whole other ball of wax but there was a problem um and the printing press helped to lean on the side of everybody getting their own copy of the book instead of it being read in context of the church um and it proliferated people going and reading for themselves individually instead of being in community and reading, uh, which it's great to have your own copy of things and read them, like I was just saying. Um, but societally, that creates a shift, a change in a perception of interpretation, a difference in how things are traditioned, um, a change in um, this shift. It's just, it's just a, another step in this larger shift from community focus to individual focus. Uh, which has been the trend across all of this, where you have, instead of working with, um, you know, the institutions um, that, you know, God had founded, um, you we see a movement constantly towards the individual uh, throughout this entire pendulum swing. And that was just one of those steps. So mm-hmm. a lot of these things you can see, like these, these things are some really cool stuff. I mean, you see like in Constantinople, people were studying things and creating innovations. And when it fell during this time period in 1453, um, a lot of the... Um, scholars and works came out of Constantinople and fled and became refugees in the West um, and kind of sparked a lot of the things that were happening during the Enlightenment and at the end of the Renaissance and in with the Reformation and things like that. Um, A lot of these ideas and science pieces were brought in from that. Um, So it wasn't like there was like a a problem with that, but um, the context in which they were operating and the lens was a little bit different. Um, but part of the challenge that you end up seeing, um, is like, like you were saying, Robbie, about the, the control aspect where we're trying to, instead of submitting ourselves in obedience to God, we are trying to put ourselves up as the ruler, whether it's through magic or through science, that's the fundamental underlying problem. And you see this happening 
across the board in a lot of different aspects throughout arts, throughout um, literature, throughout philosophy. Um, there's a lot of different pieces that came into play um, that shifted during this time period. Um, and then you can even argue that that's where the Reformation was colored by a lot of that was this breaking away of distrust of the institutions mm-hmm. uh, and individualizing the matters of faith and the church. Uh, whereas my interpretation of scripture um, versus the tradition interpretation of scripture and so on um, was that same kind of trend. And then the um, kind of a taking that scientific lens of measuring and quantifying and systematizing everything um, and applying that to theology as well. Um, you see that with, you know, Calvin's Institutes and things like that. Um, there, it, was like, it was a part of this whole movement and trend in that direction. And so you end up at, with secularism um, and the enlightenment at the end as like where you haven't, it's just an outright explicit rejection of God entirely. Um, and trying to define meaning um, in purely humanist terms uh, in a materialist sense of being human as opposed to a spiritual sense of being human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole... When you decide that you know more than God about what's... <laughs> when you decide that... And materialism is essentially just a denial of god mm-hmm. yeah it's it has the reason it has such deadly consequences is because it acts as if there is no god it may not deny him as such like a lot of them didn't a lot mm-hmm. of people who were humanists didn't deny him as such but what but they functionally denied him by the way that they treated the world as working. They decided that the world had to work based on our own individual experiences of it. And And that there was. There's like a deification of the self in absence of submission to Christ. So um, one of the interesting things that came into play was um, I'm trying to remember the actual time. Um, let me look it up real quick. Um, Thomas Aquinas. Um, yeah, this is right before Enlightenment period. Um, in the 1200s, so or right before the Renaissance. So there's a school of thought called Thomism. Um, uh, that's kind of developed from his writings. He wrote like 35 books, a ton of stuff. I was just mm-hmm. talking to him about him earlier today. Um, he wrote a t- he like one of the earlier systematic theologies. Um, which I mean, 1200 is pretty late in terms of church history. Um, so right. <laughs> being one of the earlier systematic theologies, I might tell you something about systematic theologies and where it's rolling to the church. Um, but mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but one, one of the, his premises that kind of laid the foundations for a lot of his work was that while the flesh of man or the appetites of man were fallen, the mind of man, the reason of man was not fallen. Which means that we can reason our way to God was kind of <laughs> the premise to a lot of that. Um, and he had a lot of great stuff. There's a lot of, he's a brilliant man who wrote a crazy amount of really actually good stuff. Um, but that fundamental error <laughs> um, led, led to a lot of other errors 
um, and just a way of thinking, which is kind of like we look at back at like that science. And, you know, this is like you could say I could rise to secularism is also the dawn of science, like I said earlier. Um, mm-hmm. And there's some really great stuff that came out of that. Um, I, I don't think science is wrong. I mean, science is a valid way of looking at the material world. It is. That's how you're supposed to deal with it and interact with it. And you end up with amazing, great things like planes and computers and uh, books uh, <laughs> and stuff uh, from that. Um, but and and the majority of our greatest scientific discoveries were all done by Christians, right? Who took their understanding of science and their understanding of God as the world as a discoverable place and served God with their minds, um, with their reason, where we we submit to God with all of our mind, soul, heart, and strength. So mind is part of that. Um, But there's still this thread, this underlying uh, problem where there's kind of like a, a blind spot that we've started to see more the consequences of in recent years um, with the rise of atheism and its destructive consequences and things like communism and such like, um, where you see that when you define God out of the equation, you lose the relational components of your understanding of the world, the spiritual reality, not just the physical reality. And you end up missing the most important pieces of reality when you do that. And so while, yes, science can create amazing progress, amazing efficiency and innovation and prosperity uh, and, you know, capital growth. (laughs) Mm. Uh, Don't worry, I'm not becoming a Marxist here. Um, (laughs) You you, you see these things rise, um, but what we see in scripture that while riches are not in themselves evil, they come with more temptations, right? Um, When you have more power, when you have more riches, when you have more wealth, Tempt, it's not an un, it's not an unmitigated good it is a mm-hmm. greatly mitigated good it, it's there's a lot of mm-hmm. uh down you know down, downfalls and pitfalls and uh traps that lie in that way and so um yes science has created amazing progress and being able to see things when you focus only it's like it's like um you know when you lose the sense of sight your hearing improves right uh, mm-hmm. you're able to focus on it more. Similarly, when we turned away from looking at the spiritual reality of things, our ability to perceive the material world improved. Our, our senses improved there. Um, but we were blinded at the same time, right? right? That's not a good thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so we've ended up um, throwing a lot of babies out with the bathwater all the way. Um and that's actually one of the things that you know, the academy, uh, my big project that I'm working on, that's kind of one, one of the ways I actually describe it to people is that, you know, with the juggernaut of progress, there have been a lot of babies thrown out of bathwater. And we're going back along the road, the the, 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 the journey um, and adopting all the babies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we're, we're, we're bringing them back in. We're creating an orphanage of the babies that were thrown out of the bathwater because uh, we can't turn back progress. And, you know, that's, that's, right. that's, that's one of the themes here. But we can learn and say, what were the unintended consequences of progress? What what and is, we can re we can put them back under yes. the dominion of Christ. And yes. that's what we want to do is we yes. want to we want to reclaim what God created. Because what yes. God God created science, God mm-hmm. created the world to work Absolutely. in a consistent and observable way so that we could learn about who he is by what he's done and by like, the way. By he's creation glorifying him. Yes. Right, but if you try to divorce it from its author, it becomes if you try to, right, if you start 
and that's the whole thing is we're not saying that this is that it's unmitigated evil but what we're saying is anything that goes away from glorifying and worshiping god anything that go- leaves having honoring god and bringing glory to him and worshiping and pre- proclaiming the glory of god in it hmm. anything that moves away from having that as its purpose is going to fail yep. is going to miss the point because that's what the point we're here for is right <laughs> <laughs> there is no point outside of god <laughs> exactly uh, and so what we see in the rise of secularism is specifically turning away from God, turning away from how he created the world, turning away from these are the good and great blessings that God has given us through the church and through the rise of the church. Mm-hmm. And it's turning away from those and trying to get the product without God. Yep. trying to get the good things apart from God. And that's why there is so much issues that come forth from it. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. Again, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but just realizing that when you turn away from God, when you seek to get the great things God has given you without acknowledging or honoring him, you can end up with so much trouble. And <laughs> I see this a lot of times bringing it kind of back home. A lot of times I see this with like my friends who are raised in a very conservative Christian culture. But as they grow older, they see issues with it. They see where it has failed. They see where there were abuses. They see where there was mm-hmm. whatever the problem is. They see that there was something that was not done right. And what they end up doing is instead of saying, okay, here's where it deviated from giving glory to God, from following his word, from doing what God created it to do. Mm-hmm. Instead of doing that, what they do is they just say, well, the whole thing must be bunk. Yeah. And then they throw it all out or almost all of it out. And then they try to start from scratch or more commonly what they'll do is they'll turn to secularism because secularism is the competing, the current competing paganism. It is. Yeah. And so when you're describing that, something came to mind um, that I think is common to this particular trend that we see this um, in in that particular instinct um, in view there, but as well as what we're talking about in this epoch and whatnot um, is that we forget that evil cannot create right correct um evil is, is does not have a source in itself it is always a twisting and a deviation from something that was originally good so if you're so if you see something that is broken or done wrong the instinct should not be throw that out let's create something new what you need to do is go okay what was the good thing that was already there that got twisted and done improperly and you go back to that like what where where did it go awry and what can we learn from that so we don't do that again instead of just throwing the entire thing out and trying to start from scratch because whenever you start from scratch you just recapitulate the same errors that everybody else who has done that across the entire history of the human nature (laughs) 
mm-hmm. that when you start from scratch, you create nothing original. It, it it's <laughs> always has already been tried and it has already failed. Otherwise, it would be what we were already doing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which ironically is a lot of the problems with um, that a lot of these ultra conservative problem a lot of the problems ended up being because somebody decided they were going to make it up from scratch yeah they were going to start out and they what end up what ends up happening is if you only have one influence on you yeah if you're outside of community if it's just you on your bit of bush make it up <laughs> stuff this is a cult, part- yeah, ladies and gentlemen this is a cult <laughs> Your individual thoughts and your own individual weaknesses and failings and blind spots are going to be amplified. Yeah. And what ends up happening is wherever you have blind spots, that if you say we're in a body of Christ where you are just a member, whatever particular weaknesses you as a nose are going to have are going to be (laughs) offset by, say, there's a brain or eyes. Uh whatever your particular weaknesses are, are going to be covered for and protected yeah. from. Yeah. But if there is just one person coming up with the ideas, their weaknesses end up being exemplified in whoever follows them. Which is why having monolithic leadership in a church is da- is very dangerous. If you just have one pastor who is the word of God on, from heaven you are in very dangerous water and there's no connection to a larger community in any way like there's no checks and balances at all there's a lot of problems i've seen that um with people church hopping not because of like like if you move to a new place and you're like trying to find a church um that that that, that's that you are for (laughs) i I hate saying church that's for you like it's not it's not not how it works (laughs) yes Um, uh you you go and you you can try different ones like certain periods we're talking but you need to like be loyal and be committed to one because the challenge is when people start like well that one doesn't agree with me or that one challenged me or you do something wrong and you're held accountable you just hop to the next church that's problematic that's deeply anti-christian yes Um, and that's one of the things changed by the church um not the other way around yeah and in looking for a new church since I moved to Oklahoma, me and Whitney have been trying to find a church. And mm-hmm. that's one of the things that we're trying to do is balance, <laughs> is balance our desire for church to be the way we're comfortable with it. Right, right. Because it's a sacred chamber. Right. With also re- looking for somewhere where we can grow, but m- also as importantly, somewhere where we can serve. Mm, where yeah. is the where finding a body that needs us that we can help to grow with and that's one of the reasons um one of the church the church that she had been attending one of the problems is is so big mm-hmm. like 1600 plus oh, members yeah. yeah that not there's not a community going on right there's no community going on and there's nowhere for you to serve Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, like the, right because it becomes not a talent show it becomes a public performance oh, you yeah. hire people you pay people to do that you pay yeah. they hire a professional sound crew they hire 
they pay they pay full-time pay to their musicians it it becomes a it becomes a performance Mm -hmm. and it becomes and it makes it so you can't grow you can't be a member of the body all you end up being is a consumer yeah yeah and that's one of the things that we've been looking for is the under the understanding that nothing's ever going to be exactly the way I want it, but understanding that there needs to be growth from my end, that there also needs to be somewhere where I need to be working. And I we're trying our best to find that and find the place and find that quickly because being outside of community is very dangerous. Being outside of the body holding you accountable yeah, being on your accountability own. is yes that's, i guess that's part of one of the th- the main keys yeah. of this episode yeah. is that accountability yes. is super important it absolutely is having that and balance, if you try to perspectives right if all you're trying to do is not be accountable and come up with your own pro- stuff and start over on your own you're going to end up falling into very dangerous stuff and this is where Much I like think secularism did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which I think is where we can kind of go into like, here's kind of the problem. Here's what we can do in the moment that is before us to be created by us that we were responsible for, right? Because we're responsible for our own lives, responsible for the place in front of us that we're in, the people that are in front of us. We're also responsible for this moment in history, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that it is given to us and we are held responsible for it. And we have a duty um, to do that. Um Yes. Uh, so one of the things that you can do from this perspective and seeing um, this this trend, how what can we do to heal the gap, uh, to open our eyes to this blind spot that's been introduced uh, by this swing of secularism um, without completely rewinding progress? <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things that, that comes out of this is actively work against the stream of individualism do things through community which is three or more people like like you're just saying Robbie about if you have one person doing something um and they're creating something all on their own that's like a bottleneck uh that Uh narrows down the scope and capacity for the transformation human experience that comes up the other side of that down to just that one person and we're not designed to function that way so getting at least three people like three or more people, ideally, or more uh, more than a dozen. I mean, there's a reason God chose 12 apostles um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, to really pull together and create um, the culture and the community that you're operating in. Uh, and not just inventing something from scratch, but looking back and reconnecting to traditions. So this is something that's, that's really important because we are stuck in this uh, world that is actively detethering everything from the past. Yes. Right? Constantly disconnecting it. So you have to dig, you have to like actively go out and look to find traditions and things that are, have roots and finding things that have roots. Um, but finding those and reconnecting to them and becoming a part of them is so powerful and so life-giving and it opens your eyes experientially to not, not just reading about these things, but actually going and doing them. Um, we are designed to learn by experience, not 
by reading actually. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, reading is something that supports and reinforces the life of a community. It is not itself the life of the community. Um, and so reconnecting to these things is absolutely critical. One of the things that's super important alongside that is to see perspectives that are outside of your current experience. So this, I was just talking about that this morning um, at church about a gal who has a um, farm in um, Mozambique and the perspective shifts that come into play when we, when you go outside of your entire space, when you think about how the place you're in defines a culture and how the culture defines you, the place of America shapes our culture by affluence like that that's the thing that that that's us yeah right <laughs> um and you can't really escape it you can't like break out of that mindset of affluence being just it's it's in the air and in the water and in the soil you can't get away from it and it shapes the way we think and there are a lot of spiritual dangers that come in in play with that um that all these pitfalls and traps that come from being wealthy um, are just, we're stuck with them, basically, um, woven mm-hmm. into our psyche. Uh, and so going outside of that, going and living outside of America um, to other places where people just think fundamentally in different ways, and they're not necessarily conscious of how different it really is. And But when you break out of the way you've grown up thinking about things, you can go, oh, wow, this is different. <laughs> um mm-hmm it gives you more of a dimension experience. You're able to actually reconnect to things more easily and you're able to, to um, uh, disabuse yourself of a lot of the blind spots that come into play. And mm-hmm. so that's the, one of the big things that I would encourage us all. And this is only I've been speaking to myself. I'm trying to prioritize this myself in as many ways as I can uh, to do is to break out of the, the short term cultures that we've gotten so used to and dig up and uh, realive, <laughs> resurrect <laughs> um, these older traditions that are being stifled and cut off. Like, go learn a you know a traditional artisanry skill, um, something mm-hmm. that's passed down hand to hand. There's something so powerful about that, and they're they're struggling to survive in today's economy, um, economy of mindsets. So go support them. Go do that kind of thing. Um, Something else that's really huge in this in swinging back from an individualist to a communal side is submitting yourself to larger projects than you can see completed in your lifetime. Um, mm. This is one of the things, the, the, the Disneyification of America, that one of the things mm. that I harp on a lot um, that's really frustrating is this idea of each individual person needs to go out and seek their own personal passion. And how you see in all the stories is like, there are like these, this family tradition or this family business. And like, and then like the hero is the one who goes, no, I don't want to do that. And runs off and does something else. And then becomes super successful. Like, ah, yes, that's the heroic thing to do to break your father's heart and destroy the family. (laughs) Yay. Um, It's just, it's just, it's sad. Um, But that basically limits anything that can be accomplished to what can be done inside of one human's lifetime. And there are a lot of things that need to happen that are huge and big, that are bigger than can be done in a human, one human being's lifetime. Like you look at the old cathedrals, those took generations to build. And it wasn't just like planning out the architecture. You had to plan out the families who were passing mm-hmm. down the masonry skills from one person to the next, from father to son, to son, to son, to be able to keep building it. Um, and so something that we need to do is humble ourselves, not focus on our own successes and our own 
you know, idolization, self-idolization. Like I must be the captain of my own life and I must have be the most important person in my own story. Like, no, like go find a story that's bigger than you and join it. Find your role exactly. in that community that's bigger than you. See how you can fit in and build something that you will never see the end of. That's one of the biggest strikes we can make against the individualist manifesto is to do that and humbly sacrifice our life for something bigger than us. Anyway, brand aside. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. Be involved in something that's bigger than yourself. The, the story, Christ's story, God's story here on earth is bigger than any individual. Amen. And that's the important part. It's not about you. <laughs> Amen. That seems like a good place to end this episode. I think so. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for joining us for our ranting this this uh, this episode. <laughs> uh, next uh, episode, we'll be exploring another um, epoch, more recent in history. Um, that should be a lot of fun to dig into. Some specific, tangible, like. Now that we have science center play, we can actually do scientific studies to see how 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 much we're screwing ourselves over. <laughs> so thank you for that. <laughs> um, but in the meantime, uh, join us on Discord, on Facebook, uh, share, like, respond, respond, comment. Uh, but really, like, literally, join us in the Discord and tell us how wrong we are, like, or tell us more information. Like, let's discuss this together and learn these things together, and tell about what kind of communities uh, you're a part of and what kind of projects. You yes. want to see happen that are bigger than your own lifespan. All right. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. <laughs>